Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Joe Coyo, the podcast that talks about all kinds of things related to Johnston County, North Carolina. Uh, we touch on a whole bunch of stuff besides Johnston County. We also talk about North Carolina's a whole United States history. We, we go nearly everywhere in American history, but we kind of focus on what happens here. And today, our episode is going to focus not on Johnston County in particular, but on, well, where Johnston County got its name from. Doesn't sound like it'd be a real exciting episode, but you haven't heard it yet. So you're going to like it. It's it's like ridiculous. And it's a lot of information, so you, I'm going to talk slower than I normally do, just so you can listen, because it gets, this is like a soap opera, man. Of course, Johnston County is founded like a soap opera, but it is. So, in case you don't know, Johnston County, North Carolina was created in 1746 during the administration, during the governorship of the royal governor named Gabriel Johnston. Yes, that's where the name came from. So Gabriel Johnston was different than your average royal governor. Um, as all royal governors, he's appointed by the king himself. But this guy, well, he's a bit different in the fact that he's not as well connected as other governors are to the crown. Not really into politics. In fact, never held a political office before in his life. Also, in fact... He's probably named to this post in North Carolina to be the governor of North Carolina because he's not connected. In fact, just to give you a sum up, Gabriel Johnston was born in Scotland. Um, he was a lowlander, which means he was wealthy, which means he also had lots of connections to Great Britain. He's not like the Highlanders that held out for the longest time and also were the subject of a pretty good TV show. But... Uh, Gabriel Johnston was educated at St. Andrews in Scotland. He actually received a Master of Arts degree. Um, he studied medicine and law. And Gabriel Johnston uh, was a very good writer, according to all the things I've read. He also seemed to have very established political opinions. Don't know if you know. But the very first um, mention that we see of there being a Great Britain, now we know about Great Britain, um, you know, because of, you know, where it is, but it hasn't always been called Great Britain. There was a time when you had Scotland and you had Ireland and you had Wales, all a part of the United Kingdom, but Great Britain is going to be called Great Britain whenever England effectively takes over Scotland. And as there is no Great Britain uh, up until a certain point of time, that would mean when you do establish a Great Britain, a prime minister of said Great Britain would be the first prime minister, you know, as opposed to being the prime minister of England. So, whenever England finally took over Scotland and had it and held it, then the very first prime minister of Great Britain, well, his name is Robert Walpole. He is the first prime minister and this happens whenever Gabriel Johnston is somewhat young. Gabriel Johnston is not a fan of Robert Walpole because Robert Walpole was a big-time politician, and he played politics with the best of them. Robert Walpole is going to be the prime minister under George I and George II, which means that George III is going to be you know, George II's son. But Robert Walpole was 
not a, according to Gabriel Johnston, not a very just man. And that's one of the reasons why Gabriel Johnston didn't like him. He seemed to be very mean to the Scots in general. So Gabriel Johnston's going to use his Master of Arts and his really, really good command of um, the language, and he's going to begin writing political uh, exposés or political expositions, actually, um, with other guys that uh, you may have heard of before if you ever follow British literature and a guy named Bolingbroke. And, well, anyway, he's going to write very logically and also very critically of Robert Walpole. While he is loyal to the king, as he's supposed to be, he's not a fan of Robert Walpole. What's going to happen is that since he's critical of Robert Walpole, other people that are critical of Robert Walpole are going to like what Gabriel Johnston's writing, making him kind of a celebrity in the, anti, in the, in the, in the government opposition. So that's good. People read Gabriel Johnston's stuff and again, somewhat a bit of a celebrity. So here's the thing, though. In case you don't know, writing doesn't exactly make money as much as, you know, other careers. So writing is nice. It doesn't make money, even if it does make influence. Now, he wants to continue with his writing uh, against Robert Walpole because he does see the influence. He feels like it needs to be said. So he wants to get closer to the action. So he moves to London to be a political writer. But since he doesn't have any money, he has to live in other people, another person's house. Now, there's a person that is going to be sympathetic to, to Gabriel Johnston's words and Gabriel Johnston's points of view. And this guy, this guy's name is going to be Spencer Compton, who is the first, or no, the Lord of Wilmington. Spencer Compton, Lord of Wilmington. Now, of course, it's not Wilmington, North Carolina. It's going to be in England. But Spencer Compton is going to be like a patron of his, kind of keeping him up paying for him to live there. That's nice. That's nice. And it's going to afford Gabriel Johnson the ability to write and write and write. But the more you write, you're going to get more important, more influential. The more influential, well, that means that more people are going to hear about it. And he's going to attract the attention of Robert Walpole and the king himself. So, it will be not too long after moving to London that he is going to be offered Gabriel Johnston a job. Now, with a job comes money. That's good. He's going to be offered a job. Right now, he doesn't have a job. He's going to be offered a job. So maybe pers- maybe possibly in order to get rid of a troublesome upstart like Gabriel Johnston, I don't know really why, I will say that he is offered the job of governor of the colony of North Carolina. Wow, how about that? Here's an opposition writer to the government, and the government's offering him the job of, well, being a governor of a colony. It's like completely, like, doesn't even make any sense unless you look at North Carolina. North Carolina in 1734, when Johnston's offered the job, is a very troublesome colony. It's like one of the most backwards colonies that there are because there there are several reasons. I'll give you that in a second. He's going to be offered the job uh, of governor in 1734, and he's going to accept that job as governor because, honestly, again, writing doesn't pay the bills. So, Gabriel Johnson is going to move to North Carolina. He is actually going to serve the longest of any North Carolina governor, royal or otherwise, that we've ever had. Even Jim Hunt, 
He's going to serve for 18 years. Now, Johnston really did not have any effective political experience. North Carolina was a terrible challenge. So it's not like he's getting, you know, a promotion. It's not like he's getting a favor. He's actually getting put out of the way. Now, why is it a bad position? Well, A, North Carolina is not going to be a royal colony like Virginia. In fact, North Carolina at the time is being run by a group called the Lord's Proprietors. And without getting too much into detail about how that whole thing was set up, I'll give you the basics. The Lord's Proprietors were eight people who ran the colony of Carolina kind of like their own private kingdoms until 1729, before he gets there, but only five years before he gets there. And when he, when he gets there, uh, seven of eight of them, five years before he gets there, seven of eight of them are going to sell their claims to the king, making seven-eighths of North Carolina a royal colony. But just because you change hands does not mean you change hearts. So you still had seven out of eight regions of North Carolina who are really not that loyal to the king, but are loyal to their lords proprietors, at least still in their hearts. And there's even an eighth one. There's even an eighth one. His name is John Carteret. It may sound familiar. He's also known as Lord Granville, who is, may sound also familiar. The eighth refused to sell his, even though it was in North Carolina, and the people had to obey British law. There's one part called the Granville District. Granville refused to sell, and he even retained control of his area all the way up to the Revolution. So even though they followed British law, John, Lord Granville, John Carteret, ran his show. And what makes it even more complicated is that John Granville, I'm sorry, Lord Granville, John Carteret, is actually his district where the, where the de facto colonial government sits. At the time, the colonial government sat in a town called Edenton, which is right square in the Granville district, meaning that the one place in all of North Carolina, where the capital was, was in the place that that was owned by a man who refused to assent himself to royal authority. That's going to be complicated, especially considering that Edenton, since it was the capital, you had a whole political system built around Edenton and, and, and Lord Granville. And what can he do for us and what can we do for him? There's a whole deep... I hate the I hate using the word, but I want to use the word. It was a political swamp. And that's another problem. Because see you see, Gabriel Johnston was given the job to make North Carolina submit submit to royal authority, and that is not gonna happen as long as that swamp's going to exist. He was commanded to assert his royal authority. So that's complicated. Well, another, another problem about North Carolina is that things called blank patents were being given out to friends of Granville and other powerful families. For example, there's a family called the Moore family of Brunswick Town at the very mouth of the Cape Fear. They're all getting blank patents. Basically, what that means is blank patents are like land deeds. They describe land with, you know, the, the like creek here, mountain there, without actually defining and setting the borders of that land. 
And without the borders for the land, you don't really know how many acres you actually have in these lands. So like people would go to Granville or the Moore family um, and they would, or Granville, and would say things like, hey, I, I, I want that land over there. It has a creek, it has a stream or whatever, but you don't really know where the acres are. So if you don't know the acres, you can't pay taxes on the acres that you do not or you do know that you have. So you have a bunch of people that are getting blank patents, blank land deeds from these families without paying taxes. So friends of important families could be large landholders and not have to pay a single penny in taxes for that. What that does do, on the other hand, is make those landowners loyal to those families. That's bad. A third problem is that people were abusing something called quit rent. Now, what quit rent was, was a fee paid by a landowner to the, to the king, which, which allows him to get out of having to serve in the colonial military or any kind of other public service. So as long as you paid this fee called a quit rent, you don't have to actually serve. It was going to allow you to spend more time on your property and your plantation, whatever it may be. And here's the issue with that. Well, people were abusing it. There were so many people that were abusing it because there was no one record of who had paid their quit rent and who had not for years. So on top of that, you don't have, he doesn't have any idea where the money's coming from and, and where it's not coming from. A fourth problem, people outside of the Granville District in the northern part of the state largely traded with Charleston, South Carolina. And so, therefore, their loyalties will be more with South Carolina than they will be with North Carolina. So you have, you have in North Carolina a northern swamp and, effectively, a southern swamp. And he's given that job, too. Next up problem, record-keeping before Johnston was pretty much lax at best. I mean, some documents, some record-keeping was even just complete forgery. And he's coming into that position. This is not a peach job. This is a crappy job. And that's why Johnston, as an opposition to the government, is being given it. He's given the choice, take this or not, and he takes it. So, when he becomes governor, he sees all these problems, and really, honestly, I would want to quit. Johnston, he's got that Scottish spirit, I guess, so to speak. So, when he was named governor, he came up with a few plans. One, instead of moving his capital to Edenton, like all the, into the swamp, like all the guys before him, he's going to say, I'm not doing that. He's going to move his capital down to the south. But at the same time, if he moves his capital to the south, that's going to put him right in the heart of more country where those families are running that show. He's so you can't move it to the, from the northern swamp and just put it in the southern swamp because you're still keeping it in the swamp. So what he decides to do is that he's going to establish a brand new colonial capital. He's going to make a brand new town. Now, the town actually exists, but he's going to move his, his operations to a town which is far enough away from the Moore heart or heart of Moore family country. Their heart is in Brunswick town right on the mouth He's going to take over a new town, which is literally called Newtown or Newton at the time, and rename that town after the guy that let him stay in his house in London, Lord Wilmington.
So, yes, the town of Wilmington was named by Gabriel Johnson himself. Now, that was far enough, far enough up the river from Brunswick Town that's going to steal a lot of the resources away from the Moore family, a lot of influence away from the Moore family, and they will hate him for it because now with the capital being up the river, why would you trade with the Moors when you can establish some political, I don't know, um, political friendship with the governor himself? So, by doing so, he is able to establish brand new political ties away from both swamps, brand new situation. This, and he, this is not a new thing. That was done in, in the old Roman Empire in Constantinople. It's later going to be done with Raleigh. If you if if once if if your options are one swamp swamp or another, then just forget about both swamps and just make a new swamp. And this is pretty much what Mr. Johnston, what Gabriel Johnston does. Now the thing about making this new swamp is that now his new swamp is going to be close enough to the southern swamp. That he's going to establish enemies, but he's also going to be um, facing a rebellion from the northern swamp guys who feel themselves, who have found themselves all of a sudden, being completely cut out of Amer of North Carolina politics. So, now whether he means it or not, I don't have any idea of his sympathies, but I can tell you that he's going to help solve that problem by marrying the daughter of a popular former governor who was named Charles Eden. Now, when he does that, now, now his, his new wife, he's going to marry, um, this, he is her fourth husband, but by making that marriage happen, he now has ties and plantations in both the north and property in the south. So anytime he hears about northern rebellion versus against his administration, he is able to utilize her, who she has her own political influence, in the Granville District to kind of tap it all down. I don't know if he loved her or not. It could be a marriage convenience. I don't have a clue who wasn't there. So while he's busy doing this, he also is going to pass a bill through the General Assembly. He's going to work some political angles He's going to get the General Assembly to approve of a bill that is going to encourage settlement to North Carolina. As much as many people from the outside as can move in, please come in. Now, what is that going to do? Well, by getting in a bunch of outsiders, hopefully he can, again, I guess, stir up the swamp, maybe mess up the swamps of North and South. If you bring in new groups, that's going to mean new people equals new dynamics. The idea here is to minimize the competing factions of North and South. How is it going to encourage them? He's going to offer people coming in from other colonies and from other countries to live in North Carolina tax-free for 10 years. I mean, I would take that deal. You come here, buy the land, move in, tax-free 10 years. Now, there are two places in particular that he wants them to move to is one of the conditions. One, he wants them to come to the West, and he wants them to come to the South. In the West, he wants people to move in there so as to take attention. See, that's the thing about that. The North Carolina he knew, the, the furthest West that, that there was was, well, future Johnston County, roughly. So if you can move in people to the West, West of that area, then you can make a, I guess, eventually, another swamp or at least another political faction that could offset North and South, both of which were in the East. So he's going to try to encourage Germans 
from the colony of Pennsylvania to move into North Carolina. In fact, one particular group of Germans called Moravians, um, sort of sort of Amish-ish, but he's offering them lots of acreage, lots of acreage for effectively free, no taxes. Northerners don't come down here for lower taxes, do they? Nah. Anyway, so he's going to encourage German Moravians from Pennsylvania to move into the West and then to break up and sort of uh, help out with the South. He's going to encourage some of his people that he's going to, that, well, he feels is, are going to be more loyal to him. He's going to invite Scots, Scottish people, to move into the southern region right along the Cape Fear. Come as many as you possibly can. Why Scots? Because he's Scottish. And he's also going to offer them pardons. Any Scottish rebel against the British crown that would be willing to move to North Carolina and establish um, their settlements on the Cape Fear River can have all of their crimes pardoned. That is going to be a big deal. And that also is going to be the subject of another thing later on, another episode, which is going to be sort of an extra one. As a result of him encouraging immigration of Germans, northern Germans, uh, well, northern meaning uh, Pennsylvania, coming into the south for lower taxes, which, you know, that's not going to work, right? And encouraging Scots that will be loyal to him into the southern portion of North Carolina, that's going to lead to the population tripling during his administration, the population is going to increase increase three times. And that means he's got two groups, very populous groups, that will owe their loyalty to Gabriel Johnston. Dude ain't playing. Another solution he's going to make, he's going to try to end the practice of blank patents because he's now going to make land seekers, the ones that you used to go to the families and say, I would like to uh, get this, this unnamed piece of land off of you and not have to pay taxes he's now taking that away making a law saying that land seekers have to come to him have to come to his capital to file for patents and the land has to be defined basically he ends that practice completely that would mean now that all land that is owned or claimed by anybody taxes have got to be paid fifth solution He's going to establish rent rolls to see who was paying rent or not to escape service. If the rent had not been paid for years, as was the case with a lot of people, they lost their land for non-payment of taxes, which opens up more land for Scots and for your German settlers. Another solution, he's going to require all people, rich, poor, or servant, to register for the North Carolina militia. With no exemptions. You can't just buy your way out like it had been done in the past with the quit rents. That, by the way, is going to be a big deal later on when we talk about something called the Regulator Conflict. This was the Militia Act of 1746, another Johnston invention. During his administration, he's going to uh, get the General Assembly to pass laws to make new roads so North and South actually have to talk to and com- uh, commerce with each other. He's going to also have six new counties because the population increase um, get established during his administration. And yes, Johnston County is one of them named for him. Uh, 
We're going to have the first printer. We have the first newspaper. He's going to establish the very the first set of fort systems in North Carolina along the coast because Great Britain is having wars with Spanish and French and not to mention the pirates that some former governors, including his wife's father, has been accused of or had been accused of making deals with pirates that would make them richer. What this is going to do is that's going to prevent people living on the coast from making deals that would maybe be detrimental to the to the goodness to 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 the benefit of North Carolina. So to help diminish uh, pirate Spanish and French influence, he's going to set up forts. Now there are other bills that he's going to get passed, other laws uh, that and like eh. So one, he's going to require uh, Anglican church attendance every single Sunday you had to go. And you better have a good reason because if not, they're going to fine you. And you better pay your fine because if you don't, you're going, to, you're going to lose your land. Now, why does he care about church attendance? He really doesn't. What he does care for is getting people together in their communities so the laws can be read to them. And the only real place that's going to happen that is pretty dependable is in churches. He's not caring about your religious beliefs. He's caring that you go to a place, he's gonna pass a law also, or the General Assembly is, that's gonna make preachers read the law in church. So much for separation of church and state, huh? Another one he's gonna do, which, you know, depending on your point of view, he's also gonna get the General Assembly to pass laws that would require unwed mothers, mothers of children with, um, and they're not married to their, their children's father, to either name the father of their child in public so that he could financially support that child or they'll go to jail and lose their children. And that is Governor Johnston. Governor Johnston, who Johnston County is named after, is gonna be named to be the governor of North Carolina in 1734 and will be out of office in 1752. He will move up to the Granville District where he will eventually die. Um, odd how that works. People um, are going to not like him. The more family hates him. Uh, some of the guys up in Edenton will live their whole lives and not like him. He's going to make enemies on both sides. But one thing that Johnston can say, and what he also tells his daughter later on, is that they, people can call him many things. And it can say lots about his administration, but his administration was known for organization and management. Some said he was guilty of fraud, trickery, and double dealing. Sure, why not? But he also is going to get North Carolina on its feet in a way that it had never had before. So there's our Governor Johnson. Now, I always like to give a little bit of trivia for you and sort of set up some other stuff. In case you're curious, and just in case you just like that whole trivia thing, you ever have a... TV show called uh, North Carolina Jeopardy, which you're not, but just in case. He is going to have a couple of connections besides just him being the governor and the marrying of a former governor's daughter. His daughter, um, Penelope, is going to marry a guy named Colonel John Dawson. And John Dawson is is going to be the father, uh, and he and Penelope are going to have a child named William Johnston Dawson, who's become a member of the U.S. US House and helped to prepare the site for the new city of Raleigh, sort of following in his, um, I sort of 
grandfather's footsteps, making a brand new town, a brand new capital where, you know, the swamps ain't going to work. He's going to help prepare the site for the new city of Raleigh. And so, therefore, Dawson Street is named after the grandson of Governor Johnston. Another kind of a cool thing that we see Governor Johnston does, he has a nephew named Samuel Johnston, who's become a two-term governor after the revolution. And there's one more thing that, of trivia that I'd like to put out there to you. In 1746, that's the year Johnston County is created and named after uh, Gabriel Johnston, something else happens in England that's going to set up some really big complications. But I'm not going to tell you that today. It's going to in- impact him personally, and it will change Johnston. It will change North Carolina forever. It will change Scotland forever. But that's another episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, as always. Hey, and feel free anytime you wish to leave a voice message with your own stories. Um, Any kind of, maybe I mispronounced a name. I know I do sometimes. But if you have your own stories or if you just want to leave a voice message, record it, uh, send it to me. Who knows? I I, w- I would love to hear your own voice on this program. Thanks, y'all. Until next time, be good.